Hello, and welcome to the Legion Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Legion of Superheroes from DC Comics. This is Legion Spotlight number 13, and we're continuing our look at the Legion of Superhero comics from 1963. Next up is Adventure Comics number 309 in the Legion of Super Monsters. Now, this is a two-part story. I'm going to be treating it just all in one. So it's the Legion of Super Monsters and the Legion of Super Monsters part two, the Legion Super Showdown. Now, the first part is nine pages. The second part is eight pages. Both have kind of that interior cover image. The final page of the second part is really about, you know, two-thirds or half a page because there's an ad at the bottom of it, and there's also an ad like that at the end of the first part. So it's it's really a little less than that. Now, this is written by Edmund Hamilton, art by John Forte. This came out in June 1963, 12-cent cover price for this issue, and this is most of the issue. Now, there's another story I'll get to in a minute with another Legion appearance, although this is the Legion story. Now, the big call-out for this is at the start of the story, we get on the first page that cover image or whatnot, which is the full page, a roll call featuring in this issue Brainiac 5, Bouncing Boy, Saturn Girl, Sun Boy, Chameleon Boy, Mon-El, Colossal Boy, and Ultra Boy. No faces, but just the list of characters. Now, what's kind of interesting is Mon-El isn't really in this story as such. It really focuses on Brainiac 5, Bouncing Boy, Saturn Girl, Sun Boy, and Monel. Now, at the beginning, we do get some stuff with Monel, Ultra Boy, and Colossal Boy, because on that first page, we get some stuff about how the Legionnaires get taught via, you know, closed television and such. And it's just a throwaway thing, but it's something to kind of start the story. And we also get a quick Legion tryout. We've got two applicants here. Rainbow Girl, who gets rejected, we never really see what her powers are, and Jungle King, who's got Hypno-Mental Command of Animals. And this is something that was given to him by his father through some sort of scientific process. This is something we've seen along the lines of Night Girl and some others where parents are just imbuing their kids with power. Unfortunately, Jungle King, who brought a Borlat beast with him, which is apparently some dangerous animal, isn't able to keep control of it during the whole tryout stuff, so he gets rejected on that because, well, it's kind of dangerous. He doesn't take rejection well, and the rest of the issue is him basically wanting revenge on the Legion. Now, Jungle King's costume is almost a stereotypical jungle man, prehistoric man kind of look, except it's got like a metal belt and wristbands or something. And he basically forms a Legion of Super Monsters. You know, with an earthquake beast, a mirror monster, drill beast, an omni beast, all these kinds of crazy creatures that have special powers so you can go basically rob a bank and cause mayhem for the next. Let's see, we meet him on page 13, and what did I say? This is a uh, 17-page story, so for the next 14 pages or so. And we get some stuff on them having to chase him across the galaxy. Can they fight him? Can they defeat this earthquake beast or whatnot as he goes from planet to planet stealing a few things? I'm not going to go you know, into too much detail on this, because it's pretty much a throwaway story. I don't know that Jungle King shows up again, and well, 
Jungle King is what he he tries out for the Legion as, but within a few pages, he has now been dubbed the Monster Master and his Legion of Super Monsters. So I don't know that either identity gets seen again, but I don't know that for certain, so maybe we'll see him later. The whole thing winds up with a little bit of a bouncing boy focus near the end of, you know, he can't defeat these guys, so stay back in the ship where it's safe. And he's like, no, no, I can do this. And he basically does wind up defeating the heretofore indefeatable earthquake monster. But the actual takedown of Monster Master is from one of the creatures he rejected twice for his Legion of Super Monsters. So, oh, the irony of a rejected tryout who's trying to defeat the Legion because he was rejected is defeated by somebody he rejected from his Legion. Like, okay, it's not bad, but. The implication is this gas creature that he rejected twice because it could turn intangible, like, vaporizes him. And he's crying out in pain, so the implication is he dies? But it's not entirely clear, so maybe not. Either way, it's a story almost of their own making in terms of if they had a better process for letting down the people they reject, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Not a bad story, not a great story. Again, a fair amount happens. They go to, you know, a space bank and uh, a few planets. As, as all of this happens. And again, it's broken into two chapters, as is typical-ish for the time. Not all the stories get two parts, but when they get to a certain page count, it's often broken that way, with, you know, an ad or two in between. So that is The Legion of Super Monsters from Adventure Comics 309. Next up, also from Adventure Comics number 309, is the fake Superboy from Krypton. Now, I'm not sure who wrote this. Art is by George Papp. This is also from June 1963. It's only eight pages, and it's a Superboy story. It's a pretty standard secret identity story. In this case, an ex-convict learns Superboy is Clark Kent because he sees Superboy flying out of the secret tunnel. There's only one house that's got a a teenage boy living in it. That's Clark Kent. Ergo, he must be. So Superboy has to convince him it was a hallucination. Now this ex-con is suffering from hallucinations. He's got medication for it. Hence Superboy figuring that's the way to go. Now the Legion connection is Brainiac 5's the Legionnaire who comes to help out. He poses as Clark Kent. And this is handy because when Clark is, is poisoned by green kryptonite, He turns green, which of course is Brainiac 5's natural color. Only other interesting thing here is that Brainiac 5 traveled to Superboy's era using a time belt instead of a time sphere or any other kind of standard time travel technology for the Legion and such. But this sort of a thing is easy to chalk up either to a storyteller interpretation or just an error. I I choose to be a little more charitable and say that that's part of the story that, yes, that's what they said. That's not to say that's what they meant. So again, there's really not much here. It's an appearance by Brainiac 5 and Superboy, so it's part of the Legion continuity, but it's certainly not essential reading in any way, shape, or form. So once again, that's the fake Superboy from Krypton from Adventure Comics 309. Next up is Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 70, and the secret of silver kryptonite. The secret is there is no such thing as silver kryptonite. This is a story that is to celebrate Superman's silver anniversary, 25 years of DC publishing Superman, 
in story, it's 25 years since Superman came from Smallville to Metropolis and used that as his home base. So basically, Jimmy Olsen and Professor Potter are pretending to create silver kryptonite. Jimmy's collecting silver from Clark, Lois, Lori, Perry, and Lana. He doesn't get it directly from Clark through a story contrivance, because otherwise Superman would know what's going on. But basically, they use this silver and the lookalike squad of Kandor to create small statuettes of Superman's closest friends as a gift to him. And in this story, Element Lad makes a two-panel appearance to change this fake silver kryptonite, which is really just a box for these statues, to change the pedestal it's on from steel to silver to go with the miniatures. Element Lad is in there for really two panels, and that's it. He's in and out. So it's very unessential reading for the Legion. Arguably, it's unessential reading for Superman. The story ends on the next-to-last panel, and there's an additional panel promoting the giant silver anniversary Superman annual. So really, there are two panels that have the end in it, which is just kind of bizarre. Anyways, it's a fun little story. I thought I'd include it since we've got Element Lad in it, but like I said, it's, it's very tangential to the Legion. So once again, that's The Secret of Silver Kryptonite from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 70. Next up is Adventure Comics number 310 and a two-part story of The Doom of the Superheroes and Last Stand of the Legion. Now, these are written by Edmund Hamilton with art by John Forte. First part is nine pages, second part is eight pages for a total of 17. And that's minus about a third of a page ad for both parts and about a two-thirds interior cover image for the first part, which actually has... All of the characters, except one, listed with headshots, so I'm counting that as kind of our first roll call with the headshots of the the Legion. And we've got 14 or 15 characters here. It's basically every Legionnaire except Supergirl, who's not in the story, and Phantom Girl, who's mentioned the story but never seen. But this really involves, like, everybody, and it's a, a pretty busy story with a a lot going on. And as they're kind of want to do in this era, they start with a a little piece of business or whatever of how the Legionnaires are having to do some routine maintenance on various things, like the flight belts and stuff like that, which, you know, it's nothing major, but I think it's kind of cool for them to do that. And they have a rededication ceremony that's apparently an annual thing, and Superboy's there for that. There is a masked raider looting Metropolis. And he turns out to be a fairly big threat, and the the rest of the two-parter is around that and how he really has the Legion on the ropes throughout the entire story. And it's it's a fun story. It's not what I would say is essential reading for a couple of reasons, but because it's really one of the first I think we've hit so far that we've got, again... 14 or 15 Legionnaires involved in the story in various ways, and some are just kind of there in the background. Again, a few like Phantom Girl are mentioned but not seen in the story. It's a lot of fun, and I can see where if you were reading it back when it first came out, having no idea what the future of the Legion would be or if there would be a future of the Legion after this, you could see where they may have decided, you know, gosh, maybe they don't want to keep going with these characters or whatnot, and this is the swan song or something. Because there's a a lot of high stakes in this, 
And again, a lot of fun stuff. I think they basically play fair with everything, but, you know, with The Last Stand of the Legion as, as, you know, one of the titles and stuff, we know in hindsight, you know, because this was, again, 1963, I'm reading it in 2023, so 60 years later, the Legion's got a lot more history. This was not The Last Stand. This was not the doom of the superheroes. We know this now, but you would not have known that when it first came out. So again, when you read a story, I think definitely impacts how you read it and what you know about the later outcome and such. So I don't want to say too much about this. I do think it's a fun one to to kind of read through and follow along because it just, so much happens here in these 17 pages. It's just kind of wild. It's a lot of fun. It's not the sort of story I think they really could kind of tell these days, just because I think as modern readers, we have certain expectations and we know kind of the power of the franchise and, you know, trying to do a last stand of the Legion sort of story these days. By and large, we'd know the Legion's going to come back. That's just the way it is. It's We know the power of the franchise. So again, a lot of fun. You know, we've got like the Mount Rushmore space, which I think is kind of kind of interesting. I don't know if we ever see that later, but some fun stuff, and I think it's worth reading. So once again, that is The Doom of the Superheroes and Last Stand of the Legion from Adventure Comics number 310. Next up is Adventure Comics number 311 and The War Between the Substitute Heroes and the Legionnaires and the Duel of the Legions. This is a two-part story, total of 17 pages, minus the partial page of house ads at the end of the chapters, the interior covers, those kinds of things. They did get the cover feature this time. It's got most of the Legionnaires on it, but not Phantom Girl or Matter Eater Lad. They seem to be kind of the forgotten Legionnaires at this point, because they also weren't in that last story, even though just about everybody else was. Again, Edmund Hamilton on the writing, John Forte on the art. This is from August 1963. And we get a little bit at the beginning with the Legion where they're getting some gifts from across the universe or whatever that is just, again, a couple of panels of just sort of filling time. There's like a time mirror that Saturn Girl's looking into, and apparently she's going to need glasses later in life because it shows you not how you are, but how you will be when you age. And I was surprised both by the glasses and that glasses are still a thing in the 30th century. But early in the story, the Legion gets called off to this sector in space on a rescue mission. And then the rest of the story is all told from the sub's perspective, much like the story we'd gotten a while back that kind of originated the subs. And they're trying to, you know, keep an eye on the Legion so they can help out where they can. The, the Legion's basically oblivious of their existence, even though they've offered help a few times in the past in that previous story. And the basic story here is there's an alien craft that lands on Earth. It's trying to steal rare minerals. The subs go to stop it, we get a couple of things reminding us of their different powers. You know, Night Girl has super strength, but only at night. Chlorophyll Kid can grow plants, that sort of a thing. They they manage to stop the craft, message the Legion saying, hey, there's this threat. They get no answer. But the Legion basically comes back, learns of the subs, and basically says, hey, you can't operate. The subs are trying to, to again, prove themselves to the Legion, but... The Legion, and it's, it's mainly Sunboy here who's acting as the voice of the Legion and such, basically tells them, disband, or, or the Legion will, will disband you. And they wind up Legion destroying the subs' headquarters. The subs manage to escape in their ship. But 
the Legion is then fairly explicit of disband or be destroyed. And the subs take that as a, a declaration of war. That's kind of how that first part ends. What's mildly interesting about the second part, and it implies potentially a different letterer, is the page numbering didn't reset to one. It just continued the numbering from the first part, which isn't normally the case. Not a big deal, just a little oddity that I noticed. The subs basically set up a new base inside the moon. They find some city built by an unhuman race, not inhuman, but whatever. Ages ago, there's no air there, but it's at least somewhere out of the the prying eyes of, of the Legion. And Polar Boy's like, I can get proof that the Legion wants to destroy us. I'm like, why do you need proof? You were told flat out by the Legion, disband or be destroyed. The other people were there, so it's like, all right, whatever. But Night Girl just can't believe the Legion would do this, particularly Cosmic Boy. They're establishing at this point she's interested in, in Cosmic Boy romantically. And so she goes to, to talk to Cosmic Boy, and the Legion uses her departure as a way to trace the subs back to the moon. Now, what's kind of interesting is when the, the Legion gets to the moon, they are wearing the space helmets which sometimes have, I guess they always have, although it's hard to tell, the little antenna in the back for the radio. But they're in their costume, so it's not like they've got a spacesuit on top of it. So I'm taking that as just kind of a storyteller error, potentially. We certainly don't have trans suits at this point, but it's leading towards the eventuality, just from a, a storytelling necessity, that will get us there. And because the, the Legion at this point is claiming they're going to stop this alien craft from stealing the ores. They've used one of these devices to go now on the moon, hunt down the subs. And of course, you know, they're, they're on the lifeless moon. It's not like Chlorophyll Kid can do much of anything. It looks like momentarily Stoneboy has been killed, but it turns out to have been a statue. But that's enough to convince the Legion the subs have been killed. So the subs decide to, um, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was uh, Polar Boy's suggestion create a second spacecraft, which apparently they do pretty quickly. And of course they created the first, so sure, why not? And the Legion sees that flying away from the moon towards that space sector the Legion had headed to on that rescue mission at the beginning of the story. So they chase after the sub's craft and and destroy it. Of course, the subs are doing this on automatic control, and Night Girl's like, why are you having us send this ship out there as a decoy? And then it gets blown up and they're like, oh, that's why. But that gives the subs a chance to go down to the Legion base, examine the machines they built to kind of defend against the the mineral looting and realize it's not defending it, it's going to be doing the looting, and that the Legion must be imposters. At which point, said Legion shows up and is like, yeah, we are imposters. They drop their disguise projectors, and they're from Zizan. They lured the Legion there, trapped them in a space warp, unconscious and suspended animation. And we're just going to loot the Earth of, of the ore, but the subs kind of get in the way. So if it weren't for those meddling kids. And at this point, Polar Boy has realized that they're from a, a hot world and sensitive to cold. So he uses his cold powers to incapacitate them. And the subs then are able to go destroy the machine that created that space warp trapping the Legion freeing them, but they decide to keep their existence secret from the Legion still. And the Legion's like, oh, I guess we woke up or whatever. And they're puzzled by these machines back at their base and stuff. But again, the the subs save the day. So again, all of this is really a subs story 
in place of a Legion. So, I mean, the Legion shows up and, and does quite a bit in it. So being a, a Tales of the Legion of Superheroes is legit, but it could have just as easily been a Tales of the Legion of Substitute Heroes story. Either way, I thought it was fun. I like the subs. I mean, they're kind of goofy, no question, but uh, quite a few of them do become Legionnaires later on, particularly Polar Boy. So I thought this was, was fun. So once again, that is The War Between the Substitute Heroes and the Legionnaires and The Duel of the Legions from Adventure Comics 311. Next up is Adventure Comics number 312 and The Super Sacrifice of the Legionnaires Part 1 and The Super Sacrifice of the Legionnaires Part 2, The Bravest Legionnaire. This is written by Edmund Hamilton. We've got art by John Forte again. This is from September 1963. It's a 15-page story, 8 pages in the first part, 7 in the second part, full-page interior cover for Part 1, and third-page ad at the end of Part 1, two-thirds of the page for Part 2 on the first page is the interior cover, and the last third of the final page is another house ad. So really, in under 13 pages, they tell this story in in two parts. And it's all around, can they revive Lightning Lad or not? And we've already had one story where they tried to do it and they kind of faked things out. Now, in this one, we've got a roll call. We've got it kind of on the the scroll-looking caption box or whatever on the the right of the interior cover. Uh, featuring, you know, Superboy, Monel, Saturn Girl, Sunboy, Lightning Lass, Chameleon Boy, and his amazing pet, Prody. Thought it was kind of fun that Prody got billing here because he showed up. I think he was actually introduced in the story where they tried to revive Lightning Lad before, where it appeared he'd been revived before. Now, they open with a shot of this really kind of wild clock. It's a analog clock with six other analog clocks kind of set into it with the time on different planets and stuff, because of course, you know, they're dealing with multiple time zones. And it's kind of funny because it's not like an entire planet would have a time zone. It would be relative to the sun on that planet, yada, yada. Anyways, something, just that little bit of business they usually start with. But then most of this page is a bunch of Legionnaires sitting around waiting for mon We got Superboy, Chameleon Boy, Sunboy, and Lightning Lass. Well, and, and Prody, of course. Waiting for Monel. At one point, Prody kind of mimics Monel because they're like, well, they're waiting for him. And Prody's like, well, I can do that. Of course, he gets kind of told not to by Chameleon Boy. But they're waiting for him because Monel had been over on his homeworld of Daxum trying to find a way to restore Lightning Lad to life. And he's like, no, I couldn't find any way we could bring him back. And of course, Lightning Lass isn't too happy about this. Some boy knows it'll be a, a huge shock to Saturn Girl. They head to the Lightning Planet, or what they later call Lightning Planet in this story, the place where Lightning Lad's tomb is, that's where Lightning Lass had moved him to in the previous story. And basically, we get a quick recap of how Lightning Lad died, and Superboy can't bring himself to, to tell Saturn Girl that they've they failed, but Monel is is able to. But she senses Monel is holding something back, that he knows how to revive Lightning Lad, but he's lying. And it's like he's guarding his thoughts so she can't read them, but she's going to figure this out. Superboy basically rallies the troops saying, let's not give up hope. There's got to be some way to do this. So they go consult their supercomputer and such, or their mechanical librarian, and find a couple of clues, three different ones to go chase after. So Saturn Girl goes with Monel because she's not letting him out of her sight until she figures out what he's hiding. 
Superboy's heading off to one place, and then Sunboy, Lightning Lass, and Chameleon Boy are heading off to another. Superboy heads off to a planet that's around a double star, a blue star and an orange star. And when the planet is around kind of the orange side of it, all the people seem to be dead, but as they get under the rays of the blue sun, they revive. So he's like, hmm, maybe the the radiation from the blue sun will do that. So Superboy flies to the blue sun and using like a, a super tornado thing, pulls a little bit of the blue star off into its own little tiny sun and gets it going in the right direction so he can take it to Lightning Lad, get the radiation on him for a couple hours, no dice. But good effort, and he basically, it's like, well, I gotta go take that part of the sun back. They may miss that. So Monel and Saturn Girl head off to a planet where there's this Tarok creature that the records say dies and, and comes back to life again. So they go to the planet, get attacked by a couple of Taroks, chase one off, but then find one that's dying of, of old age. They watch it die, and out of the body of it is born a new one, kind of like the, the phoenix of old, you know, arising from the ashes. But, I mean, technically, the the dead Tarok is dead. It's a new one that, that was given life, so that's not going to help them. As they're flying back, they wind up passing Daxum, and that kind of you know, drops Monel's guards for enough for Saturn Girl to realize he could revive Lightning Lad right now if he wanted to. So why is he not working with them? She's obviously not too happy about it. It's like, can we even trust him? Here ends part one of the two parts. We're eight pages in. Now, on the second part, we pick up with the third group of Legionnaires, Lightning Lad, Sunboy, and Chameleon Boy, and his pet Prody, as they're heading off to the planet Score, S-K-O-R. And they apparently have perfected a technique for reviving dead people. Seems kind of handy. On the way, they get a call from an interplanetary post office that's been threatened by space serpents. So they've got to divert there, because, I mean, they're heroes. And these space serpents are able to live in space, and they eat metal and stone, and they've, like, chewed through the wall of the post office. So, some boy in Lightning Last are able to kind of chase off most of them with their powers, which is interesting because they're in full spacesuits, these orange outfits and such, yet they're able to use their powers fine. Whereas in past stories on planets, they've often had to get out of their spacesuits to be able to use their powers. So again, we haven't gotten to the trans suits where you can just fly in space and you don't need the spacesuits. Well, technically, you've got the trans suit, which is a spacesuit, but powers can be used through it. It's invisible. It, you know, again, storytelling convention of we need the costumes and whatnot to be able to tell who's who easily. Because honestly, in that panel, Sunboy and Lightning Lass don't look that different. You know, if you had switched the lightning bolts and the, the lines for the, the super radiance and stuff uh, between the two characters, it just as easily could have been reversed. Anyways, Chameleon Boy finds out that there's another serpent in the post office in the rocket mail room, and two of the men were caught in there. Turns out Prody doesn't have to breathe air, so. Chameleon Boy has Prody imitate one of those space serpents acting like a, a young one and kind of f it flees out the opening, which gets the big one to kind of go after it. The two guys that were in there, of course, well, they were flash frozen or whatever when the air rushed out, so they're dead. But Legionnaires are off hunting a cure for death, or at least a revival mechanism, so they take the guys with him to the planet Scar. Now, they get there, and the scientists there, the, the Science Foundation of Scar have these radiation capsules or radium capsules 
They put the guy in. A couple hours later, he's revived. And they're like, awesome, let's go try this on Lightning Lad. And the scientists say, you know, hey, if the body's been permanently damaged, it might not work, but here's one, go give it a try. So next panel, we're over back on Lightning World, and they're putting Lightning Lad in there, figuring this is a good shot. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. It's like, okay, the body must have been too badly damaged. And, you know, if those scientists couldn't do it, if the scientists in Monel's world, Daxum, couldn't do it, you know, what what do they have? Now, of course, Saturn Girl is still positive Monel has figured something out. He just won't admit it. So the Legionnaires head off to, to go consult their mechanical librarian again, while Saturn Girl says, hey, Monel, there's this one place in the distant world that might help. Can you take me there? And they're flying across space under Monel's power, and she has him passing Daxum. At which point, she opens the valve secretly on her air tank, letting the oxygen out, saying, oh, I'm, I'm suffocating. Because, of course, at this point, the only choice he's got is to take her to Daxum. He does. They go to the medical center of Daxum. She's going to be all right. And the doctor's like, so how'd that revival technique work out? At which point, Saturn Girl confronts him of like, you found a way? You didn't tell me? How come? Monel's like, I'll explain, but we got to go back to Lightning World for me to do it. They get there. He's saying, I got to prep some stuff. Go grab everybody. Everybody gets there. And by everybody, it's just the people that are in the story. We're only dealing with about half a dozen Legionnaires at this point, not the full team. And Monel has made two androids, one living, one lifeless. Living, lifeless, okay. And he's like, hey, this is just to demonstrate the technique. And it's holding a metal wand that attracts the lightning, the one living, and the dead one's in kind of the coffin or whatever. The lightning strikes it, goes through the living android into the lifeless one. The lifeless one is now animated, but the one acting as a conductor, dead as a doornail. So, you know, an android life can't restore human life, but a human could. And Sadinger realizes, well, that's that's why you didn't say anything. There's no way kind of we plural could revive him. You were going to do it on your own. He's like, well, yeah, but I just hadn't had a chance because, of course, Sadinger hadn't let him out of her sight. Superboy's like, well, we're super. It couldn't kill one of us. And Monel's, well, it'd drain our life force, so we'd be in like a death-like coma. So six one half dozen of the other. And at this point, Saturn Girl's volunteering to do it. Some boy's volunteering to do it. I mean, they've got no shortage of people. And Superboy's like, hey, the only fair way to do it is we'll all stand around him, hold up a wand, and we'll let the lightning decide. So everyone, go get a steel wand. Saturn Girl, of course, a little more determined than the others, creates a Duralim rod, which has got a greater attraction for lightning than other elements and is painting it to look like steel. Now, where she got the paint here, I don't know, but okay. But Prody's there, he runs off into a cave, so she's got to go chase him down and get back before the they, they all try to revive Lightning Lad. Cut to a few minutes later, we've got the Legionnaires of Monel, Sunboy, Lightning Lass, Chameleon Boy, Saturn Girl, and Superboy, all standing around Lightning Lad's coffin, one hand on the coffin, the other hand holding up the, the rod, and lightning strikes, and because she's cheated, the uh, Duralim rod that Saturn Girl was holding up gets struck. She deliberately sacrificed herself because it burns off the steel painting or whatever, and they immediately realize she'd kind of cheated. And this does revive Lightning Lad. And, you know, he's like, you know, I remember dying. Apparently it didn't kill me. I saved Saturn Girl. Where is she? And they're like, oh, well, she just sacrificed herself. And as they point to her body on the ground, they realize it wasn't her, it was Prody. Prody, of course, having decoyed her into the caves, she got lost in there. Prody having taken 
both the uh, Durlin Rod and her place, saves her and revives Lightning Lad. So it was a, a touching story. It allows us to get both Lightning Lad back in the story that apparently readers are really demanding, according to the letters page in this, and keep Saturn Girl and all the others around. Now, it also is interesting because when we first got the Lightning Lad's story, which is when it appeared that Lightning Lad had been revived, we get the introduction of Prody. And I, of course, remember this story, not so much because I've necessarily read this story verbatim, but it's been referenced so many times later because, again, it's the first time, you know, a dead legionnaire gets resurrected this way, or really resurrected at all. I don't know that they ever use this way again. But this is one of those touch points of Lightning Lad's backstory, and there are a few other major ones yet to come, that it's it's referenced often enough that I recognized it and such. So I was kind of figuring this is what was going to happen in that previous story, because I'd forgotten the previous story and the origin of, of Lightning Lass. It also explains why Prody actually made it into the roll call at the beginning of the story and such. Great use of the character, and, you know, nice to have Lightning Lad back. I'm curious if in the next story they address the fact that he and Lightning Lass both have the same powers and you got to have a unique power. But either way, definitely this is a major moment in Legion history. So once again, that's The Super Sacrifice of the Legionnaires Part 1 and The Super Sacrifice of the Legionnaires Part 2, The Bravest Legionnaire, from Adventure Comics 312. And I think that'll do it for this episode. We'll come back next time, continuing our journey back through the 1963 Legion of Superhero comics, jumping over to another Jimmy Olsen story, and then continuing through Adventure Comics. So with that, we'll call it an episode. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.